This message. Start all over. That's terrible. <laughs> this episode brought to you by the Federal Savior. <laughs> Take three. <laughs> this this episode's brought to you by the Frontline Team. Vince, who are the Frontline Team? The Frontline Team, Corey. I'm glad you asked. They're your local mortgage brokers. These are local guys. They're a veteran-owned company. They're first responders. A couple I mean, of the all, guys who we work, all have guys, right? Yeah. If you, you know, if you, we got needed a plumber. plumber. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's got a plumber, right? Right. Everyone's got a. Everyone's got an electrician. Everyone's <laughs> got a carpenter. Yeah. Why wouldn't you pick your own guy? Why wouldn't you want to have a guy who's a mortgage lender? Well, now you have a guy. The, team at the Frontline team at 630-534-2900. Give them a call. You got you got a guy. And these are the guys you want on your side. You, you, you're going to have guys like uh, Joy Matthews, Josh Hill, and the rest of the Frontline team. If you need to refinance, this is a great time to refinance. Uh, so easy that even you have a mortgage, Corey. Yeah. And it, it, there's, they've done some wonders, I'll tell you. <laughs> that is for sure. The fact that I can own my own property is is amazing just because of the of the work that these guys do out there. You know, they I've heard them I've heard it from them before. They want you to feel like they're family as soon as you're done working with them. So Well when they first sponsored the podcast, I said, hey, I'm gonna put my money where my mouth is. I'm gonna refinance. I talked to Josh and I gave him all the information and this is what I completely appreciated. He said, you're better off just doing what you're doing right now. Uh, you're not gonna get anything better than what you're doing. Tana gave me this whole spreadsheet on the different programs we could go down and just shot me straight. It was like, you're at the best thing you, you can be right now. And that was nice. He how, wasn't trying much, to sell me on right, anything. How much more stand up can you get than yeah. a guy who's, who tells you to not use them for your business? <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean, it wasn't in my best interest and he flat out told me that. So it was fantastic. But these are guys that you will know, like I said, veteran owned. These are upstanding individuals and they'll really go to bat for you. So uh, the Frontline team, you can reach them at 630-534-2900. Or email them at the Frontline team at thefederalsavingsbank.com. Tell them Vince and Corey sent you. Engine 1, Engine 4, Truck 2, Truck 10, Ambulance 82, Battalion 2, Fire 1020 North Main, help is on the way. All right. Welcome to Chicago's Bravest Stories podcast. I am here in the studio with Vince. Hello. And fucking Corey. <laughs> hey, guys. Me and Steve been fighting all day. It's, it's, yeah. it's going to be a good one. <laughs> It's been a beatdown. But more importantly, we have on the phone with us, Vice President of the Peoria Firefighters Union, Steve Stecker. How you doing, Steve? Doing well today. How are you? Good, good, good. Uh, how's everything going down in Peoria? Everything's good. We've been busy. Uh, you know, we're short-staffed, so running our you know rear ends off, so that's been fun. Uh, we got 16 people in the academy, so hoping that they come out soon and... Uh, 
it's uh, never a dull moment at the Peoria Fire Department. Well, that's awesome. Uh, so, Steve, tell us a little bit how you got started in the fire service. Yeah, so I grew up in West Peoria, uh, right outside Peoria. We got three borders that are surrounded by the city, a small 4,500-person community. Uh, and oddly enough, every one of my dad's brothers was on the volunteer fire department there. Uh, my dad still serves as the assistant chief there, and his brother was the chief for 25 years. And uh, the day that I was allowed to turn in the application in eighth grade, I did. I spent four years as a cadet there, and then uh, six years on and off as a firefighter uh, when I was in town and then kind of moving my way up. Uh, and that started the career. Uh, my mom told me I had to go to college. So I said, well, I'm going to go study fire. So I went to Eastern Kentucky University, uh, got a four-year uh, bachelor's degree focusing on fire protection administration, uh, came out of college in 2009, and everybody was on a hiring freeze following the recession. Uh, so I kind of had to rethink what I was going to do. I uh, worked for the summer in Peoria and then uh, applied for a graduate assistant position uh, with the university to stay with the fire department and get to build buildings that we burned down and build rooms that we got to blow up and uh, got my master's degree uh, and got lucky that uh, everybody started opening back up in 2011. And uh, with the exception of being uh, tier two at that time, uh, everything's been good since then. <laughs> well, that's good. And uh, when you started applying to uh, different fire departments, did you know you wanted to work at Peoria or uh, were there other places that you tested or what was going on with that? Yeah, I did. I tested in uh, Peoria two times and the first time had a little hiccup, uh, but uh, got hired there the second time. But I started testing all over the place. I tested in uh, Decatur, Illinois, Champaign, Illinois. Uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, okay, so you didn't just have your heart set on Illinois. You were going to be a fireman somewhere, at, you know, wherever, right? Yep, yep. And, uh, Steve, do you do EMS at all? Uh, we do EMS. So my my class was the first class that uh, they worked with the private agency to put us through a paramedic class. So uh, everybody from 2011 on is supposed to get their paramedics. So everybody in my class got it. I've been a paramedic since uh, 2013. Uh, we do about 80% EMS in Peoria and 20% uh, fires and MDAs uh, and other rescue calls. It's about par for the course, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, so, Steve, as you were going through that, that's incredible that you were able to actually get your paramedic through the department going through. Most places are looking to grab guys with that training prior. Um, when you were going through, um, coming through, so that was pretty much the whole, what, the first couple of years of you having been hired was Hi. just training? Uh, no, so it wasn't offered right away. We went through uh, eight-week academy, ten-week academy. We came out, and then uh, when it fit into the schedule of that private ambulance company, then they uh, put us in there. Oh, so okay. I had actually been, I had been on the department of, about a year. I was off of probation, I think, when we started the class, and then the class took about a year, um, you know, with ride time. The the class portion was actually really condensed. I think we did in like five and a half months, and then, uh, you know, I banged out the ride time, hospital time, and clinicals uh, to, to get done with it as soon as possible. Wow. Well, a busy couple of years, at least. Um, did uh, anything stick out with you when you were going through uh, your your fire academy? Uh, we had a big class. I, I think we had 13 total, 11 from Peoria and two from uh, other departments. Uh, so we were really busy down there. 
I was uh, saying you guys got to, it's nice you got to train with your own guys too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, Peoria does an in-house Academy, uh, and then some of the surrounding areas, then there are people there, uh, Canton, uh, Pekin, some other places, uh, around us send our people there. But this time we have 16 people in the Academy. Uh, they're running a 10 week Academy. We get hazmat, uh, operations, technical rescue awareness in there. They're actually sending some of the people through hazmat tech A and B this time. Uh, and then E and T B for some of those. So, we are a little different uh, in Peoria where, like you said, they, they're look, most places are looking to hire paramedics. Peoria, we have a contract, uh, a portion in our contract is Peoria Kids First. Uh, so if you're a Peoria resident, you get five preference points coming on. So they really don't hang up on the paramedic. Wow. So we get some people that don't even have any medical experience. So they start off with, you know, first responder, then they put them through the basic class. And then uh, if a class is offered, then they put them through the paramedic. That's pretty cool that they kind of keep, uh, they're able to give preference to the hometown kids. Um, so as, uh, so you get done with the Academy, what, um, what does, what does pure fire department look like to you when you show up? They pretty much walk in with open arms and they kind of mess with you a little bit. How's it, how's it feel walking in there? Oh yeah. It, it's a, a great brotherhood, sisterhood we have in Peoria. Uh, if you're not getting razzed, you're not liked. Uh, so they tell you in the academy. I tell that Steve that all the time. He doesn't believe me. <laughs> I, I tell yeah. Corey, if, Corey, if I'm not making you cry, I, you know, I don't like you. So <laughs> quietly, yeah, we already. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah no. We, it, we had the, we had the new guys come down to our firehouse, and and we told them that that hey, if uh, they're not giving you a hard time or something, then you're not fitting in. So you better change something. So yeah, you come you come on shift. Uh, they, they try to put us in the same firehouse for about a month, but uh, you rotate through the busier fire companies and you're bouncing out, uh, you know, firefighters who've earned to be down there. So then if they come to your firehouse, they're messing with your stuff. Your crew for the day is messing with your stuff. Uh, the old two-story firehouse we have, they like to like you on the back porch and then uh, pull around and get you with the deck gun, which <laughs> was, was, was real fun, you know. Because you just got to take it, and you bring a second set of clothes, you leave your phone inside and all that stuff until they hit you right in the eye, and then you're like, oh, all right, maybe I should put the picnic table over something to block it. <laughs> and, uh, Steve, how long was it uh, before you got your first fire? Oh, uh, six weeks, I think. I went. Uh, I actually started off at the busiest firehouse that at the time had three companies, and we were right out of the gate. EMS. We had a full arrest within the first four hours of my shift, an overdose that same day. But we pitched a zero for the whole month for fire. So uh, then I went to uh, actually Engine Two, uh, which is our machine that they have shuttered right now because of the COVID money shortage. I went down there. I spent about two weeks there, and then uh, finally, finally got my good good worker in there with that crew. Okay, and uh, what was your assignment at the time? Uh, we were the second in engine company. So hit a hydrant. And then, uh, in Peoria, we only have three people. So the captain, uh, on that second engine grabs the line and goes in and you hit the hydrant the engineer gives you the sign to give him water. And then you just follow that hose line in and go find your captain. It's, it, it, it's quite fun. Now did your, uh, did your captain hold on to the pipe or did he hand it over for you? Uh, man, it takes like five years for the captains to give up the pipe. He wasn't giving it to you, was he? <laughs> no, no, no. You, you got to look at the captain's ass for five years before you can do anything. 
yeah, you got you got to yeah you got to build that relationship because that you know that's just how they they didn't get it for five years and you know then then you're an engineer if you're on the engine you're at the pump panel so then the captains finally get back in the fire and they're like hey I'm gonna do this <laughs> but we're, we're we're slowly breaking that habit and letting the younger guys get that nozzle much quicker so it, it's been a nice change from the old guard to the new guard. And so recently, you just talked about uh, one of your firehouses is shuttered down, correct? Yep. And you, uh, you guys have been having a, a problem probably, what, for a year now with manpower issues? Oh, man, it started in 2017. Uh, the city manager came after three fire machines in 36 positions. Uh, we were able to save that off and only lost six. Uh, positions, three of which were just floaters, so uh, no harm, no foul, and actual suppression, and then three 40-hour positions, so we didn't lose any of our manning at the time. Okay. Uh, but since then, they closed both of our rescue squads, which was uh, six people on duty every day, and then uh, when this when COVID hit, we, we saved it off for about eight months, waiting for federal funds, waiting for federal funds, didn't come, and they finally got uh, Engine 2 wrapped up with that COVID money, so... Yeah, we had, we lost thirty six positions in the last three years, and oh uh, we're we're thirteen short right now too, with sixteen in the academy. So overtime spinning, guys are getting tired of working, but it's uh, and it's I'm, been I'm, an interesting couple of years. And I'm assuming since two thousand seventeen, it hasn't slowed down. Just like every other department, it's only gotten busier. Correct? Yes, sir. And you, Steve, you guys, you guys started your manning with three, a three man engine, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and they're cutting your manpower still even, I mean, you guys shouldn't be running out with three man engine period. Yeah. So we had, we had 53 on duty, you know, and at the start of 17, they started browning out uh, those two rescue squads when, uh, when they had a higher three or six. And so then once uh, they shuttered those at, at the start of that year, after the brownouts, then uh, we were down to 47 and now we're at 44 on duty every day. Uh, with that COVID reduction. Is it really, uh, are the city managers making this all financial? And is it, can you really attribute the reduction in manpower to money? So two things, the city manager, he was the county manager before this and did the exact same thing. He just absolutely guts public employees. We aren't the only department that's been cut. We've been cut the severest because we've, Local 50 has pushed back quite a bit against him and taken all the legal recourse that we could. Um, but he did the same thing in the county. And the county, since he's been gone, has gotten their strength back up. But uh, we have 50 city employees leaving on Friday. They offered them an early retirement. Uh, we have another firefighter just resigning on Saturday. And, uh, yeah, it's tough. They, they, they brought in an outside company, Fitch & Associates, uh, which, if anybody listening, if Fitch, if they ever get a sniff that Fitch and Associates is coming into their fire department, call Local 50 because uh, they came in. Uh, our local ambulance, private ambulance company in town, uh, who their CEO is also the county board chairman, is a spokesperson for this company that came in. So they came in and basically did an EMS study of the fire department, just completely leaving off our fire response and basically said we could do it uh, we could cover the city with six firehouses and 12 fire stations. And just the conservative arm of our city council is just trying to hammer on that. And there was no conflict it, of interest noted from the guy who's 
one of the owners of this company that's conducting his basically his own study to benefit yeah. himself, right? Well, yeah, he's not an owner. I mean, he, he runs a non-for-profit ambulance company, and he was just, he's a spokesman for the company that they were good. But he, he had no ownership in either of them, so no real conflict of interest. Okay. That, that you know, that we could hang on to, you know. Well, the, the proof is in the pudding is when these uh, separate um, EMS entities completely take over EMS without fire response involved, it never turns out good whether they're private or municipal or whatever it may be, it, the fire department provides the manpower to be successful in the, in this EMS game that, that we're all involved in. Oh yeah. And we're still the manpower. We still, we still, we have dual response. So we dispatch an engine or a truck with almost all of the medical calls. We're really starting to slim down some of the ones we go to that should be ambulance only, but I mean, they send crews that can't pick up 150 pounders. So how are they going to get the 450 pounder down the stairs? So call the fire department. Especially in a in a town that you know through the hiring process, they've shown that they want the hometown kids to to work for their department because they got vested interest in it. And now you've got this outside company coming in and you know really doing all the taking all the billable hours for all intents and purposes, ambulance runs that can actually generate some type of revenue and, you know, and, and leave you guys kind of whatever, dealing with the repercussions of it. Yeah. And certainly, certainly when you're ticking along with 53 people on duty for 10 years in a row, nobody cares that we're going on the ambulance calls with no money because they weren't messing with us. Right. <laughs> but now you, you lose 44 positions and you're still going on all the medical calls. There's no benefit on that side. There's no, financial revenue relief for the conservative arm that says, you know, treating the fire department like a business model, which we're not, you know, we're a response model. So you can't, you can't treat us like a business because we're going to be a black hole of money if you don't allow us that revenue stream. And, and if you don't realize that, then you're going to be toast. Steve, what's the population of Peoria? Uh, it was uh, like 117,000 or 100. Yeah. And then I'm guessing we'll probably be around 108 when this census comes out. You get you guys cover any of the um, campuses? Uh, we have Bradley University. Uh, we cover OSF Hospital Campus, Methodist Unity Point Methodist Hospital Campus. Uh, they have another uh, hospital out north of the city, Unity Point Proctor, um, and then we cover Caterpillar's World Headqu- former World Headquarters, and then uh, Kamatsu has a campus here as well for business campuses. Do you know how many runs you're doing, uh, 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 like a month or a year? Do you have those statistics uh, available? Yeah, so I, I pulled the first and second quarter year to date uh, for this. Uh, we've had 10,031 total incidents, uh, you know, through through end of June, 730 motor, motor vehicle accidents, and 217 structure fires uh, just this year, year to date. <laughs> so there's no shortage of work in Peoria, Illinois. Nope. <laughs> Speaking of shortage of work, I heard that you were on uh, an incident that was in the news recently. Yes, sir. Um, can you tell us a little? It was a construction accident. Can you tell us a little bit about it? You were you were on the first in engine company, but you're also part of the technical rescue team or whatever you guys call it down there, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, 
I'm on the, I was on the first in truck company. Okay. Uh, I'm truck sorry. one. Uh, yep. No, out of our central house, our trucks run three, three people as well. I just told like the, the engine. I just told these guys earlier, I'm going to get an engine guy on this show. You thought I, you had one. I thought I had one, but no. No. Oh, well. <laughs> no, truck guys have all the fun. You know that. Uh, so. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, yeah. So our, our engine, uh, so Central House is one of the ones, uh, the firehouse that had a rescue squad that was shuttered. Uh, so all of that equipment is now on the truck. Uh, so our engine was out on a medical run. It was possibly a full arrest. We had, we had full, four full arrests that day out of our firehouse. Uh, so I think they were, they were on that call. Uh, we were dispatched first. Us and the battalion chief got there. Uh, it was actually at uh, OSF. Um, I'm sorry, what, is, what's o- what is OSF? Uh, St. Francis Medical Center in Peoria. It's our big hospital. Okay. Um, big, big employer in town. Uh, they own 12 or 14 hospitals throughout the state. Uh, they're doing a $250 million construction project to build a comprehensive cancer center in the city that they kind of want to be like the Mayo of the Midwest. Okay. Uh, and, and with that, uh, I mean, they've added on to this hospital this is probably the fourth major renovation they did. They just put on a new emergency room, uh, children's wing and everything a couple of years back is, uh, you know, it's run by the sisters. So not for profit as well. Got to burn some cash. Uh, so they're doing this massive uh, construction project. They got 40 foot trenches with trench boxes and everything on there. And the call that we got, uh, just came in as a machinery, uh, industrial accident. So we, we get on scene, pull up and the the superintendent meets us there and says that they got a guy trapped uh in the dirt uh so first thing you think is trench with everything they got going there but actually actually this was uh, just an excavation so we had plenty of room so we didn't have to do harnesses and all that uh the construction worker was putting the last two uh shores in for uh engineered wall that was probably three feet off of the roadway, the two lane roadway that kind of splits the hospital is their main thoroughfare for employees in and out, uh, construction vehicles, everything. He was putting the last two shores in and, uh, I, I don't know if some vehicle, a large vehicle or something came over. They just, they had a slough off of the ground, uh, got his leg trapped. I think what happened was they tried to dig him out, the construction guys, cause there were several shovels around there. And he ended up buried sitting uh, up to his waist by the time we got there. Okay. Uh, so first truck on scene, uh, we finished off those two shores real quick to make it safe for us. We had a full concrete wall next to us and 20 feet behind us. So we didn't have to do harnesses and all that stuff and started shoring up what we could, uh, started medical care on him. Did you guys now, started- did you guys call the, did right away? Like, so when you got on, what's your position riding on the, on the truck? I'm an engineer driver. Okay, so you're the driver. You guys get out of the rig, and you at first you don't know what's going on, but then the supervisor kind of explains to you. What did you did you bring anything with you, or did you guys run over there to take a look at what you had and then come back to grab stuff? Uh, he met us at the. I mean, we parked the truck within probably 20 feet of where the guy was because okay. we, we didn't know. So we the he met us at the truck. We grabbed a helmet, gloves. Uh, and a couple hand tools went down there. The engine was shortly behind us, so they got the medical equipment. Obviously, there was already a ladder in the hole and construction equipment, shovels. Yeah. Uh, the shoring, shoring and everything was down there. So we got right to work. 
Did you have to, uh, my, did you guys my, have to call in the team at any point? Yeah. Yeah. So my, my captain is also the leader of our technical rescue team in Peoria. Uh, so he, along with the battalion chief got more people coming that were on duty. They called for the technical rescue team, uh, which sets in motion our guys on duty who were on the team to start moving and picking up the vehicles that we need. Uh, and then we probably about half an hour, 45 minutes in, I mean, you lose track of time when you're down in the hole, but they called for uh, hire back and they hired back the rest of the technical rescue team members who were off shift for the day. And we ended up with uh, at one point 21 uh, personnel on scene plus three command uh, personnel. And then they kind of whittled it down once the team got really established. And we, we did the operation with 18 team members and uh, three command staff. Okay, and uh, so you said all of the the rescue squad stuff was on the truck. Was it all on the truck, or did did you guys have to split the gear up amongst other vehicles? Because that's a lot of gear. <laughs> yeah, so we we had the technical rescue team. Uh, we had two vehicles for that before, or uh, sorry, a truck and a trailer before they closed the rescue squad. When they closed the rescue squad, they moved all of our uh, quick equipment over, the vehicle extrication equipment, uh, two jump bags for uh, high-angle rescue with ropes and harnesses and all that over to the truck. But then all, all of our other team stuff that we already had through Mabus and all that was split between one of the old rescue squads, the truck, and the trailer. So now if we have high-angle, uh, we pull that rescue squad. And then if we have... Uh, trench collapse or structural collapse we get the truck and the trailer uh, along with it so yeah we we had the truck and the trailer come with a couple people and then the rescue squad came that that gives us the complement of all the tools that we needed to, to finish off what we were doing and this guy who was uh trapped he was still alert and talking to you guys yeah he was alert and oriented all the way through uh obviously he was in some severe pain because one of the cutoffs from one of their shores uh, came down in the sloughing off. So it sat right on top of his leg. So he had a, a push pressure point right there on his leg. And then obviously probably 10,000 pounds of dirt on top of it. And I mean, it was just mostly dirt and that, and that one piece of shoring that was uh, impinging on his leg, right? Yep. Yep. So okay. we uh, actually had the city public works truck bring out a super vac truck and uh, they got some of the dirt off and then we had to hand dig the rest. How long do you think this guy was in there total? They told us that they called within 15 minutes. Uh, and I'm guessing that's probably pretty accurate because they were digging so fast when we got there. They probably buried him pretty quick and realized that they needed help. Uh, and then we had him out in two hours. And, uh, we got pretty lucky and our training really kicked in there to get him out in two hours. Our uh, engine captain rode in with the guy and the trauma room wasn't even ready for him yet. Uh, they had called out their trauma team and the trauma team Googled how long a trench collapse takes and it said four hours. So they were really thinking that we were going to be at it a little bit longer. Was, uh, was so there we, any talk about like compartment syndrome with this guy being like pinned in there for that long? Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, you know, the first of July, all the new residents are, uh, start their new rounds and, uh, OSF is a big teaching hospital. So we're always dealing with residents. So the medic 
the private ambulance company had their medics. So they were talking to the doctors and our medics were in the hole doing all the patient care. And uh, we had to get on the phone with the resident three different times before we could finally get the order for a bicarb. And uh, the third time our guy doing treatment really had to paint the picture of what was happening with this guy to get the orders. And he was on a uh, slow drip with a thousand ML bag uh, with sodium bicarb in it. And by the time we freed him, there was only like a hundred MLs left. So it was about perfect uh, to get that bicarb in him uh, right when we released the pressure. Uh, one of the, the trauma surgeon came out to the hole as we were getting him out in the Stokes basket, did a quick assessment. And then once they got him into the hospital in the uh, trauma room, they were worried about compartment syndrome in the leg that had the, uh, the impinging board on it. Uh, but the other leg was fine and they didn't, they didn't see anything on the quick x-rays that they did. So he, he was really fortunate to come out mostly unscathed. Well, that's uh pretty amazing that you guys actually had to do that and push the bicarb on a, on a person trap like that. It's a, a pretty rare thing to, to do uh, nowadays. I know. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. I, that guy down there is like, I'm getting a, I, I got the order to push the bicarb on compartment <laughs> syndrome. I'm going to be one of the, you know, how many guys in the, you know, the state, let alone the country get to do that. Right. Right. Or even have the fourth forethought to do that. Indeed. This episode of Chicago's Bravest Stories is brought to you by Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. I'm here with Dahlia Fami, owner of Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy, where they specialize in rehabilitation of police and fire. Hi, Dahlia. Hi, Vince. How are you? Thanks for having me back. So what do or what can our members do to come in and see you guys? Really easy, Vince. They just call us up and make an appointment. So, and I can guarantee they won't be disappointed. And usually people definitely learn a lot about their bodies while they come see us. Uh, Sports and Ortho is a private practice specializing in the care of police and fire members. You can look them up at sportsandortho.net. Call them to make an appointment. Dahlia, thanks again for being here. One last question for you. What if it's a work injury? That's a good question. So you can still ask for us. We're part of the City of Chicago Workers' Compensation Network. So there should be no issues if we are requested. Thanks, Dahlia, for being here and educating us about the importance of prevention. Always a pleasure, Vince. Thanks. Well, uh, but that was just one of the things that was was going on uh, with you guys, right? There was multiple things gonna go, that are going to go on uh, on the same day? Uh, that day, you know, we had the four cardiac arrests out of that firehouse and then that call. Uh, but then the un- upcoming shifts were, were pretty busy. Uh, so last week we had uh, four fires in two shifts. So they actually got called in at 1 a.m. to come back in. We had three firefighters injured. Uh, on the second house fire of the night within one hour of each other, uh, about 10 blocks from each other. Uh, so while the first crews were battling the first fire that had, uh, you know, there were some animals that perished in that fire, but no civilian, no firefighter injuries. The second fire came in. Uh, so in Peoria, when we have a fire, we like everywhere else move up companies to staff the, where the holes are. Uh, so that fire was a hodgepodge of uh, engines and trucks from all over the city. 
uh, it was arson. They're, they believed that the the lady's boyfriend, they had a, had an argument. He had ran from the police earlier. They believed that uh, the news reported that he, he's the one that potentially said it. Uh, and that house was rolling. The, some of our people that arrived on scene, our command staff, get some pictures when they come up and fire coming out of all the windows. Uh, and it actually caught the house next door on fire um, through the eaves and in the attic. So all they had was really a puff of smoke out of the second house. So they evac'd on the first house, um, which a couple guys suffered burns to their legs. Uh, not sure if it was steam burns or just embers going up the pants or what, but uh, significant enough that they had to be transported to the hospital. Uh, since been released and uh, they're on duty injury, but everything seems to be tracking right with their recovery. Uh, we, we had the other crews go in the second house. They started pulling ceiling and getting water on it, realized the whole attic was going. Uh, and then uh, they got evacuated out of that house, set up a master stream with a platform aerial truck, put some more water on it, uh, saved the third house from catching on fire. And uh, the our command staff hired back uh, for an extra engine for the rest of the night and then obviously hired back for the, the two guys that were hurt. So came in at 1 a.m., uh, and then at the end of my shift, midnight, we had a uh, arson fire that was uh, previously uh, tried to be torched about a month and a half ago, all boarded up, and uh, arsonists came back and tried to burn it down again. Jeez. So in a department that's uh, being, who's having their manpower cut, you guys are having a day with four cardiac arrests, of a, a guy trapped and then within the same next couple of days, you have four fires and four firemen get hurt. Uh, all all the guys that were hurt are doing okay, though. Yeah, yeah, doing okay. One was uh, treated and released on scene. It was it was three total, and then the two two had burns, uh, and they were released the next morning from the hospital and uh, recovering on duty injury until they're cleared by the city doctor to come back to work. Do you think you would have had a different outcome if you guys were at full staff? With uh, three extra machines in service, we can handle three fires at a time. Uh, you know, 15, 15, you know, 17 machines in service. It takes five, it takes five machines in Peoria to, uh, you know, run a single family dwelling fire. Uh, so the first one would have been handled. We would have had more companies moved up in the proper location. That second one probably wouldn't have got into the second house, but. It's it's the the roulette game they're willing to play in the city of Peoria. Well, it looks like they they came up snake eyes on this one, right? That's not actually a roulette reference. No, I don't no. think snake eyes is roulette. No. Um, right. <laughs> There's a ball. <laughs> and you, uh, uh, it came up green, uh, double zero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just to just kind of give people an idea of what. Um, what this manpower, sh- what this manpower shortage looks like to you guys? What would have been the difference in um, in the amount of guys that were on the scene of these incidents relative to how things are now? You know, relative to like ten years ago, how many well, more guys we, did you get on these, on, or how many less guys did you get on this incident? Yeah, we haven't changed our response model at all. We just severely deplete the city whenever we bring it in. So. Any of our working structure fires get uh, three engines, uh, one truck, and a battalion chief. And either, to fill out the complement, it's either an engine or a truck, uh, depending on the location. So we get five fire suppression apparatus with the three people 
uh, on it and a battalion chief. So we always get 16. Uh, if like the second fire, generally speaking, would get struck out as an extra engine, extra truck. So you would get seven on it. Um, I don't know how soon we got seven on uh, that call because we haven't even had the time to pull the data for July yet. Uh, but like I said, they had to hire back three people to staff a reserve engine with hardly anything on it, but hose lines to come in and uh, fill the complement of, of that incident because guys were just drained. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and from, you've got a fire work now. Yeah, and you've got fires now where there's potentially more apparatus and there are men on the scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so what else you guys got going on over there in Peoria? Uh, we've we've uh, had a little bit of issue with city council and funding for just general training. Uh, so our fire chief had to go on the floor on Tuesday and try to defend our dive team, uh, which just a month and a half ago pulled a, uh, a gentleman out of the river who was in a, uh, wave, uh, wave runner incident. Uh, he perished, wasn't wearing a life jacket, uh, had been probably enjoying some adult beverages and went under. Uh, so with that dive team, we have a Marine boat, which we had to take out last night at midnight, uh, for a lady who, uh, was threatening to jump off the bridge. She had gotten in the catwalk and threw her phone over, threw her shoes over, and we sat in the water with six guys on the boat, two in Mustang suits ready to go. Uh, we run that that boat as a uh, jump crew, so it's, uh, whoever's available, generally from our station, engine one or truck one will go down, staff that marine boat, and then put it in the water when requested. Uh, we don't run it full-time like uh, some other departments do. Um, and then along with that, we have the, a hazmat team, uh, which just finished up some training with uh, the FBI and the ATF down at our academy. They spent the last week doing hazmat ops with the uh, new recruits and the FBI. And they, they came down and they tested some uh, radioactive material. Uh, they set off and detonated some bombs in a tent filled with foam to just work on some of their training for themselves. So always something in Peoria and generally with little funding. So everything's interesting. Well, Steve, what are you guys doing to try to get your Manning back? Uh, obviously trying to capitalize on this ARP money. Uh, the city of Peoria receives $47 million in federal stimulus money. Uh, we, our members really showed up and, and put out in this last election for, uh, uh, council candidates uh, got a mayor elected, uh, got three new council seats. So we think we're sitting at six or seven on a vote. Uh, we hope we have six or seven on a big vote to bring Engine Two back. So we're just hammering social media, talking to our council people as much as we can, trying to get them to bring it up. Unfortunately, in the city of Peoria, the council forgets that they're the boss of the city manager and that he's their employee and they can fire him any Tuesday, any second Tuesday that they have a meeting. Um, but the city manager kind of runs the rhetoric and he doesn't want that third fire. He wants all three fire machines closed. He doesn't want to open one back up. So it's going to take a lot of background uh, conversations to try to get that, to get that accomplished. Cause it, it appears that the citizens are on our side to bring it back. There's 47 million reasons why it should come back. And we just got to convince them because our, our response times are terrible. Our call load is going through the roof. We've, we've been so short that guys don't even want to work the overtime anymore. 
Uh, so you're worried about burnout, mental health, all that stuff going on. How many times are guys being forced back where nobody wants to work the overtime and then you got to force somebody back to stay? Well, I, we're pretty fortunate. We have 169 members. So the only time we force is uh, July 4th or New Year's Day or Christmas Eve. Uh, so we don't really have to force people. Uh, but we have, on several occasions, had to call both of the off shifts uh, to come in. Because generally the off-going shift fills the overtime for the day before. Um, <clears throat> we've had days where they're hiring 10, 12, 14. Uh, so some of those days they'll have to actually go to the shift that's coming on the next day and get them to come in early. Well, the overall theme I think we're trying to get to uh, here, and, and obviously we stated it multiple times, is it takes proper manpower to run a professional career fire department. And over the years, over the decades, the f- fire department has become an all-hazards department, right? Um, and that's yeah. why we especially we wanted to talk to you because you guys had the trench rescue and then the structure fires, which, you know, that's, you know, the fire department. And then you had the water rescues. And it, as time goes on, more and more and more, the f- fire department is dependent on to take on additional risks, to take on additional duties. Uh, we just had a gentleman, Billy Croft, here from Naperville uh, on the show, and he talked about how he was on tactical EMS, which is newer to the fire service. So things are moving on from fire, and then we're doing fire and EMS, and then we're doing fire, EMS, and hazmat, and then you know technical rescue. It's, it takes manpower to be successful at those things. And when we have things like a possible trench or excavation uh, incident, uh, construction incident, the manpower is taken away to save that citizen or that construction worker, and other parts of the town aren't covered anymore. And when Absolutely. you and when you move on to the incidents where you had the multiple fires. In my jurisdiction, the second fire you described would immediately have been a, a second house going, would have been a still in box. More and more apparatus would have come, right? And you're de- you're depleting the resources for the town. And that's how you get firemen hurt. That's how citizens get killed. That's how buildings, <laughs> we don't save buildings, right? Because we don't have the proper resources to be doing all this if you're eliminating manpower you're eliminating firehouses i mean i don't know how else to describe it to some of these city managers out there well let's put it in perspective you let's say that your house is on fire and your kid is trapped upstairs the first engine from peoria showing up with three guys one of those guys isn't even going in the fire he's staying on the engine right so now you're relying on two guys to go rescue that kid upstairs Right there, that that's yeah. all you're getting on that first engine is three guys, two one of which isn't even going anywhere, but near that, um, uh, near that house. So, with a three man engine, the way you guys run, when you guys go to a fire, whose whose responsibility is it to make that hydrant? Uh, yeah, so that's a good question. The our first end company doesn't have to catch a hydrant uh, if it's imminent rescue. Uh, they can roll in and the captain will take a line in uh, with the back end guy for rescue, stretch a dry line. Uh, then we have 500 gallon tanks, which uh, so if they got in a pickle, they could uh, charge that line while making the grab. 
so then in that case, the second in engine company and third in engine company will both get a hydrant. Uh, the second engine company will get the hydrant connected to them, connect a hose to the first engine so that both of them have a water source in case the first engine goes down. We pull our backup line off the second engine so that you have redundancy built in. That third engine brings in their own water, uh, and they can either go to the rear of the structure or whatever, so they've, they've made their own water. They can make their own fire attack or supply an aerial pipe uh, if they need to. Uh, and then the first truck company coming in will try to finish off that rescue, cut utilities, do ventilation. Uh, and you guys are absolutely right. It's uh, all about response times. When you're doing it with three people, we need that second company there right you, now. You guys, uh, you, what you just described to us was firemen trying to squeeze water out of a rock. Yeah. You know, if that second fire engine is working one of four cardiac arrests that day, they ain't available. Right. What you just described is <laughs> what you guys are supposed to do and who's showing up and when. But with your closing of the firehouses, that second engine, yeah, they're supposed to make the hydrant. You got 500 gallons if you have to use it, which if they have to use it, it's it's a matter of minutes before they need to be connected. Yeah. So you're talking that second engine used to get there in three minutes. Now you're talking seven, eight, nine, ten, thirteen minutes, depending on where you're at in the city. And it's you know, the time, city manager, that's enough time to go through your five hundred gallons for sure. Oh, absolutely. And the city managers, you know, they chase the almighty tax dollar. They they've uh you know, annexed and annexed and annexed in the city of Peoria. We service almost five hundred miles with uh a pretty interesting terrain. Obviously we have the river, so we're in a valley and uh so certain certain companies are in the valley and then certain are on top and then you know 50 miles out north you've really stretched your resources then for that almighty tax dollars those the people that are paying the high taxes that they annex in they don't even have any service because once we get a working fire we we take their companies and move them to a different firehouse that so that the, the heart of the city is protected do your city and managers then, live he, in peoria yeah yeah he lives in the heart of the city though <laughs> i mean what's he thinking man yeah. Well, some people have to learn the hard way, I guess. <laughs> you know? Jesus Christ. Well, uh, Steve, uh, we appreciate you coming out on the show and uh, talking about uh, Peoria uh, and what you guys got going on over there. Uh, your story seems to be the same story that many, many, many other municipalities whether they're your size or smaller, it's the same story all around. Uh, you you can't you can't cut the fire department manpower, and it, you know, and we're saying this is, is, here as firefighters and paramedics, but you know, manpower is how we get the job done. Uh, we just had uh, Pete Van Dorp here in the studio, and uh, he said on a high rise fire, he wants that building filled with firemen. You know, to make sure that we get the job done and done right. Well, you know, Steve's story, it, it, it's almost word for word the same as when we had Chris Corvallis in here. Absolutely. You know, it's the, the same battle, the same war for the same thing. And it, it's going to eventually uh, come to a head. You know, you, you, you can't you can't continually operate on that level. Into, you know, somebody's going to get hurt. Something's going to happen. And you guys had the perfect storm. You know, you guys had the perfect storm of incidences all within uh, 
you know, short time of each other. And you guys got to see how really thin you guys can be spread out there in Peoria. Absolutely. Uh, what, what uh, if anything, can uh, people do to support you guys and to help you guys out? Is there, are you guys have any fundraisers or anything coming up that uh, we can promote for you? Uh, we're hosting the AFFI convention next year, so uh, make sure everybody comes out for that. I'm sure we're going to have some fundraising for our charity events uh, as, as far as that goes. Uh, the AFFI has been a big support. Obviously, we're ground zero for the placebo case, uh, which has statewide implications for Public uh, Safety uh, Benefit Act uh, and changing the definition of catastrophic injury. Uh, we had an unfair labor practice. We settled agreements this week. We go to grievance arbitration uh, August 5th with our buddy Jerry Marzullo. Hey, uh, we know we've Jerry. Racked up, yeah, we've racked up quite the legal fees to the tune of like $93,000 in the past uh, three years. Uh, the AFFI kicked in 20 on the placebo case. So, uh, yeah, just uh, continue to uh, support those. Um, people in your jurisdictions that support you so that you don't get in this same situation. And if you ever have any questions, uh, call any of us at Local 50. We'd be happy to help and uh, make sure if you can make it to the convention in uh, 2022, we'd uh, love to see everybody in Peoria. That's wonderful. Um, thanks again for being on. Thanks for sharing your story. Uh, keep up the fight out there and let us know if there's anything we can do with you guys. Thanks, fellas. Have a great day. And it was uh, my pleasure. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Hey guys, uh, you know what? We're just going to talk a minute about this awesome beer we've been drinking from Illuminate Brew Works. Um, right now, I'm, I'm drinking Trust, and uh, this thing is it's just a really good lager. Um, we're going, we're kind of running the gauntlet here. We got some, uh, we got some awesome beer here, so we're just running through each one of them. Uh, I tried, Vince, you tried that Orange Sunshine too, right? Orange Sunshine is my new favorite summer beer. Yeah. Thanks to Brian at Illuminated Brew Works. If you guys are looking for an amazing craft beer, and, you know, I'm not a big craft beer guy, and I was a little hesitant, and then when we started popping these things open, uh, it was like Christmas. Yeah, we've been firing pretty good on these things. (laughs) We've been going through these things. Yeah. Like, Bar Chicago's Bravest Stories is doing all right over here. Right. Well, the Illuminated Brew Works beer has saved us from drinking all the whiskey that we have here, because... uh, yeah, um, and uh, that creeper was pretty good too, right? Vincent creeper was it. good, and we're fresh out of astronaut juice. And yeah, that. if we had astronaut juice, that is my top one uh, from these guys. If you're looking for an amazing craft beer, you can find it at Vinny's Norwood Park Wine and Spirits Beer Temple, which is right down the street here from the studio. So if you're uh, picking up some illuminated brew works at Beer Temple, stop in, have a drink with us. Bottle and cans, uh, Capones, Totos, and Ryan, Rayans, R-A-Y-A-N-S. Yeah, these are all bars that are selling, and uh, you guys would notice it for sure once you walk in, because they've got some really cool artwork on each of their cans. Um, so, again, just, just look for the eye-popping uh, artwork that you're going to see. Again, this is Illuminated Brew Works. Make sure to check out 
anything that they've made so far. You go to uh, that place, Wine Styles, at 6182 North Northwest Highway. You can pick it up, and coincidentally, that is right next door to where the new brew pub is going to be. Illuminated Brewworks is opening up a brew pub at 6186 North Northwest Highway. It's going to be amazing. The beer is amazing, and we are also asked to mention that the new Brony is coming back out. It's a double hop IPA. So for you IPA guys, the Brony is coming back, but the the beers that he has in stock right now are amazing. Uh, Illuminated Brew Works, thanks Brian again for uh, you know keeping us in beer here, and you know when our guests come in and stuff like that, we give it to them as well, and we've heard nothing but great things from uh, our guests who've uh, walked out of here with a four pack of uh, Illuminated Brew Works. Thanks guys again. Make sure to check them out, Illuminated Brew Works. The opinions and views are that of Chicago's. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I didn't see you touch the speaker. You're still doing it. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yeah, it was Cuban Cutter. They missed the radio. All right. Um, Find this guy. Good to go, right, pal? All right. <clears throat> the opinions and views are that of Chicago's Bravest Stories podcast and their guests. They do not necessarily reflect the opinion. <laughs> You're just fucking chuckling. You're just chuckling. <laughs> not even a full beer. The opinions you hear are that of Chicago's Bravest Stories and their guests. They do not necessarily reflect the views of any municipal governments, fire protection districts, fire departments, EMS, or, or law enforcement organizations. I botched law enforcement, that's right.